Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. You know, the past couple of weeks, we've been all about politics, but we thought it would be nice to take a little break from it all, which is kind of fitting because that's what today's guest might be best known for, Brian, at least until recently, taking a very long break. (laughs) That's true. Our guest today is Steve Perry. He was the front man for the band Journey in the 1980s. And unless you're truly living under a rock, you've heard Steve's lead vocals on the most downloaded song of the 20th century. Just hearing a few seconds of that transports me to another time and place, specifically Atlanta, Georgia, when I was working as an associate producer for CNN, and this song came on the radio, and I loved it. Yeah, and I would have loved it had I been born at the time, but, you know, I wasn't. Thanks, Brian. That is really cold. You're very welcome. Anyway, Steve Perry always wanted to be a musician, but by his late 20s, he felt he'd run out his music career playing for small-time bands in dusty bars. He left his musical dreams to mend turkey coops on a farm in California, but then one day he got a call from a band manager named Herbie Herbert, that would change his life. That's an understatement because Herbie asked Steve if he'd be the lead singer in a band called Journey alongside guitarist Neil Sean. Now, with Steve at the mic, the band went on to record eight multi-platinum albums, toured the world, but the life of a megastar grew kind of old for Steve. It was really hard on him. So following his mom's death, he walked away. The last time he performed live with Journey was in 1987, more than 30 years ago. And Steve has pretty much stayed out of the spotlight since then until last month. That's right. After decades of keeping a very low profile, Steve came out of retirement and recorded a new album called Traces. He was motivated by a late-in-life love who made him think twice about how he was going to spend the next 30 years. So we'll get to his music, his career, and why he felt the need to walk away. Or I should say, Katie, you will get to all of that since I wasn't able to join you for your conversation with Steve. We missed you, Brian. I think you really would have liked him. I bet I would have. And honestly, I could have used some backup vocals. (laughs) You'll hear that a little bit later on. But we talked about so many things. So let's get right to my interview with Steve Perry. Are you having fun, Steve? Before we talk about your life and what's been going on and how you got to this moment in time, is it nice to be back? I'm having fun. Uh, it's a lot of work, and I haven't been working for a long time, so I had a nice vacation. I think that's probably— <laughs> You had a 20-year vacation, <laughs> Actually, Steve. Actually, I left the band 31 years ago. Wow. I believe that. Yeah. I can't. It was 87. Wow. And yeah, here February, we are. February of 87, I was home, and that was it. 
You just walked away from everything. And before yeah. we talk about all that, I'm curious what your life has been like since you left the band. You went from such an intense, extreme, grueling, high-profile schedule, right? And mm-hmm. so many demands on you to being able to kind of get up in the morning and say, what am I going to do today? Yeah. Was that a huge adjustment? Did you oh, love it? it? Tell me everything. It was. It was very, very difficult just to go back to uh, the simplicities of life when, uh, as a child, I reached for so much more. Uh, I don't know why I needed more. I think it was something that started when I watched my father sing when I was about four or five years old. And I saw him sing at the Hanford Civic Auditorium. And my mother was performing in her big can-can dress in the same production. I can't remember what it was, but I remember looking at my father and he's singing. And I knew I had that inside of me. I just knew I had it inside of me because I said to myself, I can do that. And so I would sing around the house. And then, of course, I discovered music. Uh, That was a big part of my life, the 45, so I started playing at an early age. I guess it drove me, the discovery of music and the songwriting, the recording, the sound of their voices, the string parts. That it, it lifted me in such a way emotionally that I wanted to get closer to it. I, I was drawn to it. Now, you got to know, my, of course, my dad was a musical guy. <laughs> Did he play instruments? You know... The only instrument I remember is he had a 49 Ford, and he had this big steering wheel, and he literally had a ring on each finger, and he would sit there and go, you know, when some swing song was on the radio, he'd be tapping away like a drum pocket thing, and um, and I would just pay attention to certain things like that, simple things, at a very early age. Like, I'm, I'm three, four years old, like I said, you know? And everything seemed musical to me at that point. You just had that gene, I guess. You I think I had, that a, I had hyper-connected a, to, yeah. you know, maybe it's an auditory it's thing. It's auditory. You're correct. It is auditory. More than it is, I'm not trained. I don't know how to really play instruments. I was uh, a drummer for years. That's my main instrument, drummer-singer. Um, Do you play the piano a little bit? A little Enough to write, but I don't play. You were the voice of Journey, so, I mean— it sounds like a very difficult life. Your tour schedule was so relentless. The demands on you mm. as the voice was were so relentless. Nobody was calling me that then, though, really. <laughs> but I was a singer, and the demands were the same. You're right. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, I know you just performed. You went home, and then you never went back. Let's talk about sort of what led you to— to make that decision. And and what was it that brought you to that breaking point? I would love to mind that a little bit. Mm. I guess, well, we weren't getting along very well. I mean, the band is a band, and that happens to groups. Right, of course. You know, they You're come— st- Well, it's like you spend so much time together, right? And, and, and you have so many different opinions about the direction you want things to go. Uh, you disagree and you agree on so many levels. And um, as it's moving forward and growing and becoming this other big thing uh, called success, um, everybody digs in for their own, I think, opinions. And uh, it becomes a bit uh, collidive. It, you collide. And I think, I think that's a new, a, a new I, word. I'm making up words. <laughs> collidive. It's <laughs> like yeah. collidive. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I Proceed. do that. <laughs> and uh, um, so uh, we're writing songs here today. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's what happens. And uh, we weren't talking much. We were just colliding with each other a lot. And, and that was going on for a while. And that's stressful. Uh, and it was. And uh, And the touring schedule was intense. And... I would have liked to have slowed that all down a bit and been a little bit more, uh, how do I say, um, you know, if you go to a hardware store to get a carton of milk, you're probably in the wrong place. It's not there. So you just felt like your your visions weren't aligned? Yeah. I think I was asking it to be something is what I'm trying to say. What did you want it to be? I wanted it to be more spaced out. I thought we would tour for a while, stop for a while, have some life in there, 
toured for a while, stopped for a while. And 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 when you would suggest that, well, suggest that, what would you be management told? and most of the members, their lifestyles required more, uh, dare I say, cash flow. And and you know, my upbringing was Portuguese. My grandfather taught me when I was very young. He said, uh, "It's not how much you make; it's how much you save." And I went, what does that mean? He says, if you make $40, I want you to put 20 in the bank, and I want you to forget about it, and I want you to try to make that other 20 work. Forget about the other 20. I think so, you must have known my dad. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, it's, such, it's such wise stuff to hear as kids, you know. I was raised that way, so I was saving my money along the whole time. So your lifestyle was clearly very different than a lot very, of your band members. Very different. Did you succumb to all the sort of tropes that we associate with rock and rollers and people, you know, on the road? Like, in terms for of instance, give me. Sex, drugs, alcohol, lavish spending, et cetera, I et cetera. Had, uh, I have had occasional for the first three, but lavish spending was not my game. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I, I thought that that was just crazy. In fact, I kept my yellow Volkswagen that was so beat up. I just thought it was fine, you know. That was the way I was raised. When I came off tour, I went home to my mom's house, and I remember coming down, going back in the back bedroom and, and crashing for a couple of days, and the phone rang. And I swear this is the truth. I ran down the hallway, completely naked as a as a as a jaybird, grabbing the phone, thinking I'm I'm late for the bus because I was in deep sort of like sleep. So that was how road burn. We used to call it road burn to where you're so burnt because this is what you do. You get in a cycle. You know, it seems to me from a business perspective, if the band heard your cries of help that they would not, as my dad would say, want to kill the goose that laid the golden egg, right? Well, I think at the time it was interpreted as just whining, you know? <laughs> you know, and maybe I was whining a bit because it was hard work. Well, let's talk about the hard work it was because when I mentioned that your voice is your instrument, mm -hmm. it required really an obsessive, it sounds to me, uh, uh, amount of attention paid to it to keep it Neurotic strong. is the word. All it, right, neurotic. It's an erotic, obsessive feeling that you just don't know what you have from one night to the next. And it sounds like it, it almost took over your life, Steve. It does. It does take over your life. Because so explain that to people who okay. don't sing for a living. Well, because if the instrument you have is you, it's not just the vocal cords in your throat. It's you and the vocal cords, and their inflammation issues. And if one vocal cord is slightly inflamed more than the other, they don't line up. You've got trouble. If you don't get enough sleep, if you don't drink enough water, uh, if you stay up too late, if you're just completely burnt out and fatigued, that's enough on its own. And if you, if you ask anyone from Streisand to anyone about this, they will say, gosh, finally somebody's talking about it. You know, because the truth is, it is... It is a neurosis unto itself. Do you think it is for all singers? Or, yes. Or more for you? Well, okay, I guess I should speak for myself. I, I, I mean, I'm just curious. You've probably talked to a lot of singers. Did you find I have this found, commonality I among have you? I found this commonality. Um, most of them will nod their heads and say, nobody gets it, do they? No, nobody does. I understand. That's you know? so interesting. I wonder why don't people talk about how much care and attention and neuroses often accompany this kind I of think, talent. I think the word fear. The fear is this, Katie. People have been waiting for a long time for you to sing the songs that they have decided to embrace and bring into their lives and make part of something that enriches their emotional part of their lives. And you're coming to town and, and you pull in the day of the gig and you go to the sound check and you open your throat, you feel crumby and grumby, as I call it, or crusty, it can be really scary to think that you're going to fall short of what these people have been waiting so much for you to give them. It's, it's not fair to them, and at some point, then it is not fair to you to put yourself in that position all the time. That's a lot of pressure. Now, now I want to make clear, I'm not complaining. I'm not whining. Please, uh, anybody listening out there, I'd like to talk about things that people don't talk about, and this is certainly one of them. Have you ever been performing 
and felt that you disappointed the crowd. And I'm curious, what was their reaction, and how did you feel? I, I did. Now, that's a whole other landscape of neurosis because sometimes when— Did you ever I, get booed, by the way? No. No? Uh, only once, I think I was in, I was in Toledo, and I said Cleveland. Oh. Because I was so tired. So from that point on, between the two bass drums, with a little LED light, the city would have to be written on a piece of paper. Because <laughs> I didn't want to make that mistake again. That's how tired I was. I, that's when I got, the only time I got booed. The only other time I could recall was I was so fatigued that all I could remember was the first verse of Oh Sherry. I couldn't remember the second verse. So I did the first verse twice, and I looked at the audience and put my palms in the air like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So you were pretty much just completely burnt out, Steve, and you said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So so for all those years, I know obviously you had a a solo career mm. after that, but for for much of that time, you were just living in California, mm -hmm. doing your thing. Mm -hmm. So what would you do all day? Well, first I went to my hometown and I hung out with friends and I went to the old ice cream parlor and went out to the cemetery and I would spend solitude moments with my uh, departed parents and, and grandparents and uh, um, and then I had a step-grandmother and I had my father's sister, my aunt Betty and I really, I went back and took care of them to be honest with you But that's that that probably wasn't your entire day I mean, did you, no. did you still Make music? No. Did you still think about songs? Did you? I mean, I know you spent some time at the carnival when it mm, came to fair, town. The, at the fair? Well, the fair would come to town in June in my hometown, and, and I always dreamt of running away with the with the circus, so to speak, because it would show up and it would be so amazing, and it looked like the island on Pinocchio. You know, the Ferris wheels and the lights and everything, and I thought it was so amazing. And the next thing I know, they're gone. So. I thought, gosh, someday I'd like to, you know, run away with the circus. And being in a rock and roll band is a circus life. You know, you do run away with the circus, so to speak. And you do travel just like that. When you were off and it turned, like, the clock struck 8 p.m., wherever you were, did you ever think, wow, I, you know, in my old life, I'd be stepping onto a stage right now? I mean, did you miss the rush, the adrenaline? Of course. Of kind of just being in that moment. To me, that would be... I wish I could, could sing. And the idea of just being able to sing something, a song you love, and have people really, you know, respond to it, that just must, there must be nothing like it. Yeah. To be able to write music that you believe in and have someone else love it as you initially sort of feel like it's worth being loved, nothing like it. Nothing like it. And then and then to record it and they embrace it and then to go out and perform it, it's just the whipped cream on the cheesecake, you know. It really is. It's just it's just something I can't explain. And yes, to answer your question, I really did miss it terribly. But it came with too much, I think, return to uh our baggage together. I think that, you know, look they were tired of me, and I was kind of tired of them, you know. And I think we needed just to go our ways. That's all. Well, you did then go on to your solo career, mm -hmm, right, Steve? Mm -hmm. And was that more satisfying for you? You did I really share, didn't oh, Sherry. Go, I really didn't go into the solo career at that point. I did the solo career because Neil Sean had done two solo albums while I was in the band. I told the manager, why is Neil doing a solo album? Well, I can't stop him. He said he wants to record it. You know, so he did a song and a whole record with Jan Hammer. Then we do another journey album, another tour. And then I told the manager, look, I'm going to do one. He shouldn't do, keep doing this because, you know, it's gonna, I think it could damage the band at some level. Next thing I know, he's doing a second one with Jan Hammer. So I turned to the manager and I said, okay, I told you, I'm going to do one. So that's when I went to L.A. and did Street Talk. And wrote O'Sherry and Foolish Heart with Randy Goodrum and strung out with, with Craig Cramp and a bunch of friends. And, and, I, and Nico Bolas was the engineer. We recorded that record so fast at this little studio in the Valley. And we had a great time. And the record came out. And it was just a great moment. Then I asked my mother, what should I do? Because she was already sick at that point. She was very sick. And um, I asked her what I should do. 
Should I go back to Journey or should I continue my solo career? Just to think about it, please, Mom. Because she was so instrumental in my early years of of being in bands in high school and everything. I just wanted her opinion. And honestly, she couldn't talk very well because her speech was severely impaired. And what did she tell you? The next day she said, Journey. And I went, are you sure, Mom? Because that means I won't be able to hang out with you. If I do the solo stuff, I can, I can do it at my own pace. She said, Journey. Just like that. So I went back and did the record. Uh, and um, if you look at that record, it says, this one's for you, Mom. After you left Journey, why wouldn't you just do a solo career? Because that's not why I left the band. I left the band for all kinds of reasons. Okay, I didn't leave the band to hurt anybody or run away from them. I left the band to go back to my life, I think, and reconnect with some foundational things um, that I felt, I think... We're slipping away? I think we're slipping away. Thank you. I think we're slipping away. Like I just... I think that it was such an amazing ride that I was on. There was no room for anything else in my life. So I think I had to leave it all to open up and have some room for something else. And so that meant to go back and find out what that is. Any regrets that you that mm, you left or mm, any regrets mm. the way your life unfolded? Mm -mm, I don't. It was like tempering steel, to be honest with you. I, you know, steel is kind of soft until you heat it up. I had to get heated up and then put in the cold water and heat it up and put in the cold water. And uh, it kind of tempered me. At this point in my age right now, I don't have any regrets. I um, can tell you that though others may not agree with me, I think it was the best thing for everybody. I really do. Um, before we go to break, um, at what moment did you think, wow, I have a good voice? <laughs> Probably singing into the, uh, into the well out at the ranch. It was so beautiful to hear that echo. I just loved the way it sounded. And then also, I used to sing, <laughs> when I couldn't get to the ranch, I would unplug mom's uh, hose from the vacuum cleaner and put one in my left ear and sing in the other end. And I loved the way that sounded. What would you sing? Um, I would just make things up. I don't know. I would just, I love the way it sounded. I was really young. I do remember, though, um, uh, the angels listening, listening, when they heard me crying. You know, I remember those guys. I think it was the Crests. You know, I think it was the Crests. And you must I, have been singing some Sam Cooke, too, back in the day. Uh, then I, I know discovered you worshipped Sam, him. Yeah, then I worshipped him because uh, that was— uh, What was your favorite Sam Cooke song? Uh, the first one would be um, Cupid came on the radio in my mom's 56 Thunderbird. And, oh, man, uh, the whole world got so small. It got so tunnel vision. I'll never forget it. And I was just captivated by the emotion coming out of that speaker and how it was landing. And so I, I think that's what got me reaching for music from the very beginning was, why does this make me feel this way? Why is, what is happening here? You know, it connected with me, you know. Do you sing, can you sing Cupid? I know the, all the words. Cupid, draw back your bow. And let your arrow flow straight to my lover's heart for me, nobody but me. Now, I can't sing. See, now I'm criticizing that. I, just to show you, I just criticized four phrases that I just sang at the same time I was singing them, okay? <laughs> and I, I, I really got to tell you, without echo, I'm singing dry in this room. I don't sing dry. Well, thank you for singing dry <laughs> for us. Quick pro quo. No, 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 no. But what? my Come favorite on. Sam Cooke is, don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about the French I took. Don't know much about the... Oh, wait. Oh. What? <laughs> but I do up. know that I love you, right? And, and I, I know, know that, that if you love me too, 
What a wonderful world this would be. God, harmony, I think we see? Sounded good, I just right? sound harmony on yeah. you, see? I, I, I'll never forget when that was in the movie Witness and uh, Harrison Ford and Kelly McGinnis were dancing. It was so sexy. Of course. Love of that course. song. And isn't that what it's about? It, it really is about the intimacy of music, it's so personal. Well, I'm excited to talk to you more about this new album and the genesis of this album. We'll talk about that right after this. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Now back to my interview with Steve Perry. So, Steve, you're back yeah. after all these years. After all these years. Still crazy after all yeah, these years. Yeah, I know it's too. been a long time coming yeah, since yeah. I saw your face. I know. <laughs> So let's talk about this new album, Traces, and it comes from a deeply, deeply personal place. You fell in love with someone uh, who, unfortunately, was diagnosed with breast cancer, was in remission uh, when you first learned about her, Mm -hmm. and then when you met her, it had spread and come back, and uh, you decided to jump into the relationship anyway. Yeah. What was it about that relationship that just almost had the same attraction for you as music, it sounds it was, like? It was just almost terrifyingly wonderful because I could not stay away from her, and I knew she was sick. It was like, it was like what am I doing? There was times I would talk to a therapist and say, what am I doing? I was going to say, you I know? wonder if there was something about the potentially ephemeral nature of that relationship that somehow attracted you not to be your what therapist. What is ephemeral? Get, What's ephemeral? Sort mean? of fleeting, you know, not not permanent. Wow. I don't know. All I know is that the connection was so strong and it was very, very difficult to not run. At the same time, there was this incredible connection that said you have nowhere to run. There's nowhere else you want to be. Like I talked to Nico Bolas, a friend of mine, an engineer, and and one day I was watching him work, and I had just started seeing Kelly, and he said, "What are you doing here?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm hanging out with you, watching you mix a little bit on this this cool band." He said, "Man, you should be with your girl." I said, "Well, we went out a few times." He said, "I'm not sure what to do about that. I'm just 
very confused about it because it's scary because she's not well. I, I don't want to fall in love and lose again. I don't, I just don't want to, I don't know what to do. You know, he said, dude, I've never seen you like this before. He says, I have never seen you so happy with anyone. There's something else going on for you and her. He said, man, you should be with your girl, man. That's your girl. I could tell that. And so I left, called her and had lunch and I, that kept continued. How long were you together? A year and a half. How long was she sick, really sick, during that period of time? Often on the whole time, uh, but not as bad as it got, of course. The last, um, I would say the last six months, especially the last three months, of course, were the worst. But there was a time here in New York where she was on this incredible clinical trial treatment that didn't make her sick. It was invented by this guy, and and it was doing amazing things for her. And she had tumors in her lungs, and she had um, some in her bone marrow. And we would do the scans, and the tumors would have scar tissue where the MRI would show this. Well, there was scar tissue there, but I don't see the tumors anymore, they would say. And we'd look at each other and say, what, what did he say? What did he say? You know, and we would go from not being able to ride bicycles in New York to riding bicycles in the park and just thinking, oh, my God, this is insane. This is so great, you know, and then come around September of that year uh, is when she said, you know, honey, something's not right. I don't know what it is. I know my body. Believe me, I something's not right. Did a scan and it come back, you know, so cancer is so cruel, you know, it, and well, you know. Let's talk about the promise you made to Kelly, Steve. You said that you would not go back into isolation, that you would put out some of the music mm. that you were writing and mm. thinking about. Tell me about the promise you made to her. Well, my favorite time we would spend together was, you know, at the end of the day, we would turn the lights down, give each other a smooch, and I'd either talk her to sleep or she'd talk me to sleep. And um, one night she said, uh, honey, I need to ask you to make me a promise. And I, and I said, well, what's that? I want you to promise that if something ever happened to me that you would not go back into isolation, for I think it would make this all for naught. So uh, I was never given such an amazing long sentence with so en encompassing value of my whole everything like that. But remember, she was a PhD psychologist, so she she was very good assembling her words and, and very clear when she had something to say or feel. You're going to hear pretty much to the, to the bone what it is. And this was one of those moments. So I said, of course I promise I won't go back into isolation. But look, it wasn't like we weren't hanging out or going on trips or having dinner with friends. We were living our lives. But she knew that I was isolating from music. She knew I was isolating from singing. I never really sang much. So that's what she was talking about. Your new album, Traces, is full of ballads. Some are sad. Others are nostalgic. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think people listening to this one song called No More Crying would assume it's about losing Kelly. Let's listen to a little bit and you can tell us how that song came about. Let's talk about that song. Well, <laughs> actually, that song is more of a of a of a of a different sort of dyslexic version of what you're saying. And meaning, he's trying to convince himself the answer to not crying is to just not love again, and basically to shut down his heart. Now there is that component in there. It is a relationship song. But if you listen to the second verse, I'm so free, I need nobody. No more lies, no uh, surprises, no confrontations. It's a peaceful life behind closed doors. But in the dark of the night, 
I start to remember, okay? So that whole arc of all those lyrics right there is about isolation and how um, just pull away from it all and you won't have to deal with lies. And, and by the way, there's a bit of my past past in there, okay? But lies and confrontations and, you know, surprises. I mean, there was a lot of surprises that, that when you're in a band, you're being told to do and go and perform or do places that you just don't want to do. But guess what? It's been booked and you're stuck. So there was always this stuff I didn't like too much either. So there's a bit of my past in all this. But let me tell you, the song I think you're really looking for is most of all. Now, if they have most of all here, if you were to hear the opening line of most of all, he says promises that won't fade away. Um, it's about reflecting all those memories. Uh, it, it, it's about the whole thing to the ones who've lost their most of all. Many years won't heal when tears still call their most of all. You know, that song I wrote with Randy Goodrum before I met Kelly, and it turned out it ended up becoming a song about her. Let's listen to it for okay. a second. Promises that won't fade away Golden memories that will Were you surprised, Steve, that a song that you had already written before you met Kelly seemed to reflect— Look, look I have goosebumps on my arms. Was I, so I, 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 I can't, I can't make that happen. It's something that happens. To me, where that comes from is life-sustaining, and it's the most important thing in my life right now, Katie. I mean, to connect with music like that. And, and even if it's my own music, it it means so much to me at this time in my life. I'm not a spring chicken, honey, okay, you know? And I need this so more than I've ever needed it in my whole life. This, connect, this? this connection with emotion and music and songwriting. Nothing means more to me than reconnecting like a song like that. Uh, the lyrics of that. I'm so proud of him because he's just being honest about the memories and everything that's going on. And then he says, from another place to another town, still drifting. That's what I did when I was home. He just shifts. He goes, he's, he's being memorable. Then he shifts to like just drifting around again, lost. But to the ones who've lost their most of all, many years won't heal when tears still call their most of all. That means so much to me. I need that out there for me. I just hope it touches somebody. But for me, I mean, I need it. I think that also there's some very up-tempo songs, kind of yeah, of course, rocker I mean, yeah, songs yeah, yeah, like yeah. like Noah Rayson, which is about a high school reunion. Yeah, yeah. Let's listen to that song for a second. What is it about high school that keeps drawing you back there, Steve? <laughs> I think we're all in high school still. I think emotionally, if we look honestly within ourselves, some of our teenage years, the foundation of our hearts and soul, were completely fed by all the fantasies, these teenage fantasies of our youth. I read that you don't like to dissect songs because you say if you talk too much about what they mean, it takes away 
the ability for everyone to interpret it for themselves right. and for have it to to make it meaningful for them it makes and their, it their own experience their own experience yeah that's right Having said that, I love the story behind Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> so you have to tell us a little bit about the circumstances. You're in a hotel. Yeah. Go. Okay, I'm in a hotel in Detroit, and we just finished a show at the Cobo Hall. And uh, I think it was the Poncha train. Somebody brought it to my attention, hotel. And I'm at the top floor looking down, and I'm not sleepy. It's about 3 in the morning. I'm seeing the streetlights glowing the entire streets from the top down. And... They're sort of a of a rust colored amber color, and I just could not believe it. Everybody's still milling around, you know. Uh, and I thought these are like streetlight people. They're like people living under these streetlights, and it's three in the morning. So I remember that streetlight people, and then up and down the boulevard, up and down the boulevard. That's right. And then, uh, and then I remembered. Um, there was this place in my hometown called the El Rancho hotel that had a bar, a terrible bar and club with a little stage in the corner. That's where I used to play all my cover band music with the band I was in at the time. And you'd walk into this place and it had a red carpet that was just stained with all sorts of alcohol and wine spilling and everything. And they never washed it. Was and there the smell of wine and cheap perfume? Women would wear the cheapest perfume, okay, in, to show up, you know, to try to have a smile and share of a night, right? So that came from, <laughs> it came from there, you know. And so that was just sort of reflections of a bunch of different places in your life. Detroit that's right. and that's right. this seedy motel or hotel. That's right. And, and and ultimately, though, it's a love story, isn't it? Well, it's, it's about not giving up. It's really about, you know, you got to keep believing. It's about uh, a city boy and a city girl and, and just... Uh, Living in a the, lonely world. Well, yeah, making the midnight, taking the midnight train to anywhere. It's about throwing yourself to the wind and, and just living your life, you know. I think that is what resonates with the youth of today because the song really is about it's okay where you're at right now. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're throwing your life to the wind and just follow the wind, you know? It must be fun for you to see a whole new generation fall in love with Journey. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I think we can give a little credit, possibly, to the cast of Glee, yeah. which uh, covered Don't Stop Believin'. So let's listen for a second. When you saw that on Glee, Steve, did you get such a kick out of it? Because I remember my daughter, we were super, you know, Glee freaks. I guess they call them Gleeks. We used to watch it. You know, it was her <laughs> thing we did together. And Carrie used to record herself and put herself on YouTube. She's since taken it down. Uh, <laughs> uh, singing Don't Stop Believing. And, I mean, it really, I, did you get a kick out of that? I did, I did. Because it was a whole new generation. And, again, a high school generation, you see. It's that It's that, it's that period that I'm talking about that um, is an important period in any evolution of a human being. It just is a magical time, our teen years. And and to see that song become part of the, the joys of that generation really, really warmed my heart. And then it continued, by the way, you know. I, I mean, it continued all sorts of places, sporting events, and ended up with Sopranos, of course. Well, you know, of course. And, and, and that was a thrill for you. Yeah. I know that they reached out. They you knew before the rest of the country I didn't know the what ending. was going to happen at the end of The Sopranos. Because I held out. I was the only one who held out. You know, there's three writers, and, and everybody said yes but me. And the only reason I held out was because I wanted to make sure that David Chase wasn't going to whack the whole family with the song playing, you know, because Scorsese would do that. You know, going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, was it great seeing your bandmates, or did you were you conflicted? I was conflicted, and, and, I, and I almost didn't go because I was so conflicted. But what happened was I started going online, and I remembered the times I had spent away in my hometown that we spoke of earlier. 
And all my heroes that I grew up with on those 45s were inducted. And I thought, oh my God, this is where I'm going. This is this, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps again. See my arms? <laughs> yeah. Because I really felt like, oh my God, this is real. I'm really going to be inducted with my heroes, the ones that I looked up to. So I felt a sense of purpose and insistence within myself that I must be there. Because at that point, no matter what we did or didn't, do or, you know, you can still love somebody and not hang out with them, by the way. You right. know, I, I really think that needs to be said. All right. And so the point is that I still have feelings for, because we were in, in the trenches together as a group trying to accomplish a mission that, you know, the concept of a band is when you band together to do collectively what you can't do by yourself. It would have been so epic if you had just done one song, but you I just know, didn't want to. I understand to. that. But that would have I, been epic. But instead, I wanted to pay tribute to everyone uh, who had done so much uh, for giving this kid, a San Joaquin Valley kid from Hanford, California, a chance to live his dream and chase after it. That meant more to me. I thank Greg Rowley. I thank Neil Sean. I thank the manager for believing me. And then I had to thank Arnell for for pouring his heart out every night for 10 years. That's your re- the, the guy who, yeah, he, I can't say your replacement, but the guy who became the lead singer. But he but he, he's so good. He's a good kid. He's, he really has been... Pouring his heart out in that band for ten years. And you've been so generous about it. Look, why not? I mean, I mean that's the way I see it. If you, you know, you had some good times with these band members. Obviously, you didn't see eye to eye. Obviously, you got on each other's nerves, and you were happy to walk away. But, you know, a lot of this is about friendship and. I don't know. I have friends that I have. I'm no longer friends with. And why though? Tell me. Le- tell me why. Well, it's no, no. I mean, it's too complicated. But it no, always no, 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 no. It Hold on. Le- no, that's not it fair. It leaves a bit of a hole no, in no, my no. heart. Well, it leaves a hole in your heart. But it is too complicated. Why? Why can't you go back to your friends? Because it's complicated. I should. I want to, and but, I hope but I will. It, but it's so, ver- but it's very back to you. But it's very complicated and very <laughs> I, difficult. I, I, I should. I hope to, and one day I will. And you? I don't know if I can. Why not? It's too complicated. <laughs> Just can't can't go back. No, I don't think people can go back. I think that's one of the things I learned when I was away. That if I'm going to push through life, I like the adventure of always going somewhere I've never been and growing with that. And the biggest thing, Katie, the biggest thing is a second ago, I just played most of all for you. And I got goosebumps on my arm. I have not had that connection with something I lost when I left the group in years. Remember, 31 years I left, then somewhere in the middle, I came back to them again, tried. I tried to go back. It didn't work a second time. Why should I try a third time if it didn't work the and second time? And I'm not time? even talking about music. I'm talking about a relationship, I guess, Steve. Look, if relationships were possible like that, I just don't know if people can separate their uh, their motives from their relationships, if you know what I mean. I think I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, really. I mean, it's it's friendships are private and and intimate and and protective to themselves. When they get spilled into motives, it doesn't feel like a friendship. It seems like you're afraid to rekindle a relationship for fear it will be exploited for something else. Pretty much. If it's going to be a friendship, exploitation of a friendship is just not a friendship. I don't know. Time time tells everything. You know, life is a very strange place. <laughs> and it's, I think that the, the Eels, the, the lead singer of the Eels, e, said, yeah. yeah, he said, Steve Perry moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> do you think you're going to do another album? I mean, oh, is, yeah. this, is, this, is this reconnection with music going to last? Or do you think that this is a new chapter and we'll be hearing a lot more from so you? I have so much stuff I want to do. I've got songs started. I've got songs already recorded that are sketched. Uh, I've got more material. I have more material than I need and maybe that I have time left in my life to finish, to be honest. It's a commitment to continue to make music for the time I have left. I tell you from the bottom of my heart, this is life-sustaining to me. And I need that right now because, Katie, I've lost my mother, my dad, my grandparents who raised me. I'm an only child. I need this. Why didn't you ever get married, Steve? Scared. 
scared. And I'll tell you, with Kelly, I was really close, so close. Just didn't like what happened and what I saw growing up, and um, I just don't think it was for me. And then I was deposed in so many divorces with the band members, one after another. And (laughs) the next time I turn around, this guy's marrying a new one, and now I've been across at least three wives with one guy. Yeah. It, it, while I was in the band and a couple with others and, and deposed because you're in a partnership together. So I watch them lose half of everything every time. And I'm thinking, it's not how much you make, it's how much you save. <laughs> so maybe I should stay single. <laughs> <laughs> or have a good prenup, Steve. Well, I hear they're not so great. <laughs> and I know the album is doing great. It is doing great. I'm so happy. Which must make you so happy. I'm so happy. Nothing makes me happier right now than the people hear this music and hopefully love it and feel it. That's all I want. That's all. I I don't care if they stream it. I don't even care. (laughs) I'm I'm so happy for this new chapter in your life and I wish you a lot of happiness, but I also wish you a lot of peace, Steve Perry. On that note, that wraps up my interview with Steve Perry. Such a treat to talk with him and to sing with him, too. Well, Katie, we've gotten a lot of listener emails asking for more singing from you, not from me. Well, I have to give the people what they want then, Brian. You do. You do. Before we go, I want to thank the team that produces this podcast. Producer Emma Morgenstern, associate producer Nora Ritchie, Jared O'Connell, our engineer. And special thanks to my good friend Matt Lombardi, who really helped me so much with this episode. Matt, reunited, and it feels so good. Also, thank you, Gianna Palmer, for your help, and Casey Holford for putting up with Steve and me on a Saturday morning in the studio. Thanks to everyone at Katie Couric Media. Beth DeMaz is Katie's assistant and a fabulous one at that, and Julia Lewis is the social media whiz. Jared Arnold composed our theme music. You can find Brian on Twitter under GoldsmithB, and I am everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all as Katie Couric. If you've thoughts about the show or questions for Katie or me or guest suggestions or really anything, please reach out. Our email address is comments at couricpodcast.com or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 929-224-4637. We'll talk to you next week. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.